I think people never know if they, if they should call me Pastor Chad or like the disaster guy or, you know, I don't know what they term. Pastor of disaster. I get all the jokes. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, when Lance asked me to, to speak this morning, um, has, haven't, he hasn't asked me for a while. It's a lot of times, you know, hey, talk about what you did in Puerto Rico or East Africa or whatever. Um, but when he asked me, I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And I was like, what do you want me to talk about, firstly, which was the first thing I wanted to ask. And secondly, I was like, when? So he gave me some dates. And of course, I'm like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And then I realized it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, so you don't maybe want to speak after Thanksgiving. You're a little tired with the family. So let's pull Chad. He's like, oh, yeah, we want you to preach. We want to tell you about all that you're doing. And it's after Thanksgiving. But leadership. Yes, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn. Um, no, but it's good. It's, it's, I'm thankful. I, I also, speaking of pastor of disaster, I never know how to, wear, how to dress when I do this. My, the director of Fourth Corps Missions, uh, he always talks about how sometimes I go into a meeting and I look a little bit more disaster looking. And he's like, sometimes that helps your cause. And so somebody's like, you know, if I come into a jacket, sometimes he's like, I don't know if that helps your cause or doesn't. So the one time I was in a meeting with him, I had like a, a Northwest flannel. I had some boots on. Of course, the skinny jeans rolled up. And he's like, you kind of got this mixture of like Northwest, like hipster vibe and like this disaster. And he's like, it's really working for you. So keep doing that. <laughs> so this morning I got the cuff. I got some boots, but I, I don't know what I'm doing. I never know what I'm doing. Uh, it's good to be here. I, I, of course, as a disaster person, you always have to be prepared for what you do. So I have the old school paper because sometimes I have to do that, and I'm trying the iPad um, because you never know in a disaster how one thing's going to work and one thing's not, and you got to be ready to uh, transition. I also have my, my computer over here in case there's a third one, right? Because I think that one time I read, if you have one, um, you're, you're, uh, one is, what is it? One is none, two is one, and three is you're prepared, or something like that with water filtration. This idea that you always have to be prepared. So I'm going to be prepared this morning and try to uh, get this done. I got, the, my, I got a first slide. Um, of course, whenever I talk, some, some of you know me. Uh, I, I attend this church. I, I'm 32 years old. I've attended this church for 32 years. Um, uh, I've lived across the world. I've gone to other churches, but this has been my home church for my whole life. And uh, so I've been here. Um, but if, if you have that, I don't know if you have the photo of my family. Um, I have an amazing family. This is just us a couple weeks ago uh, at, at the corn maze down at Spooner Farms. Anybody hook up Spooner Farms? Come on. They do the corn maze. My kids love it. So this is my daughter to the right of me, Alana. She's three years old. Uh, this is my wife, Jordan, my beautiful wife, Jordan. She's a nurse. She's a mom. She still works, and she holds down our house. She's amazing. Uh, and then my son in the back, who's, uh, who's just turned one. My, my daughter and my son are, are about two years apart, almost exactly. Uh, but what you don't notice there is he's on the back of my wife, but he's about the same size as my, my daughter. I know last week I was on doing an offering, and I mentioned how much he eats. I think this morning he ate a whole bowl of oatmeal, um, uh, three sausages, uh, two eggs, and was still trying to pound my food and, and, and more than I ate. So I'm really worried. I'm a big guy. I played football, and I'm really worried about what he's going to turn out to be like because I'm like, dude, I don't know if I want you playing football. It bashed me up. I'm still having issues with headaches, and all kind of my body is just bruised. And so I'm like, maybe just go into something else, like arts. I mean, I, I'm, I was an artist. Like, that's great. Do something else, man, but maybe not. But that's my wonderful family, and, uh, and I love them, and they're, they're, they're a huge part of the, the ministry that I get to be a part of. Um, I've been in missions. I started missions about 10 years ago. It's been crazy. Um, to think that it's going on that, that long. Um, uh, it started off as just kind of this calling to, to be a part of something different, bar, bigger than myself, and it's continued to morph. But I think when I first started, um, I, I was beginning to see a, a gap in how we as the Big C Church, not just this church, but our, the Big C Church, how we cared and how we did mission and 
cared for people. And so I, I, I just kind of felt the Lord saying, there's something different, and I want you to be a part of it. So I kind of started down that journey, but um, it's incredible. I've been a, a part of over 30 large-scale disasters around the world. These are things like the Haiti earthquake, the Japan earthquake, the Philippine typhoon, the refugee crisis out of Iraq and Syria. This is things like uh, the East Africa famine right now where there's 20 million people across East Africa that are in need of humanitarian assistance. The biggest need since the establishment of the UN. I'm, I've been a, a part of, of over 30 of those kinds of disasters that are like mind-blowing, bigger than anybody can handle. Plus, I, I did some tallying this just last week for a report that I did as well. I think we've been a part of over 200, 250 different disasters um, that, that Foursquare Disaster Relief, and I've been able to be a part of. So I get to, to direct uh, our global efforts on behalf of, of our denomination and the Foursquare Church, and uh, it's incredible to see the, the fruit of what's happening through this. And it has nothing to do with me. It's all about the Holy Spirit and our, our family, our Foursquare family. Um, we, we talk about that in, in Foursquare circles all the time about the family of Foursquare. It's more than a denomination. It's about family. It's about who we are as the body of Christ. And, and we have a, an incredible thing called the Foursquare Church that we get to be a part of. Um, but the reason I got into missions really was like this gap that I saw in uh, how we were doing it. I, I know churches are missional and they have parts of it, but it kind of, I always saw that there was like these different pieces of, there's these missions guys that kind of always end up being a little weird. You got these Saturday breakfasts where we send the missions guys and say, hey, go talk and be with the missions guys. And then you got the other groups that you go over here and we kind of have this separation of things. And, and, and the Lord really calling me to say like, hey, there's something different. And I always used to think that that meant for me that I wasn't going to be a pre preacher or a pastor. My dad was a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor, my uncle was a pastor, my brother was a pastor for a while. Um, my mom here at the church, she's, I consider her a pastor, she's a pastor here at the church. Uh, my great-grandfather, uh, you go down the line, there's all these pastors in my, in my family, I kind of was like, I want to be rebellious, but I want to know, I know that God's called me to do something different, right? So I wanted to be like, I'm going to do something different and prove you all that Jesus is in this, and that I have a different calling than maybe you do. And, and, and as I see now, 10 years past, I really see that God did have a unique calling for, for me, that was different than my family. Although I, I, I love the history in, in my family and the heritage, I'm so grateful for what the Lord has done before that. But there was something different for me. And so um, I, I, my, my father-in-law, when he, when he always, uh, he's in Montana, and he always is really proud to introduce his family to his, his extended family, or his friends and things in, in Montana. And uh, when he tries to introduce me, it's really funny, because he's an architect um, small town, Billings, Montana, and he always tries to introduce me, and he's like, this is my son-in-law, he's married to my daughter, who's a nurse, and this is Chad, and he's kind of this missions guy, uh, does disasters, and he eats a lot of weird food, and, but he's cool, I love him, he's a great son-in-law, but I really don't know what he does, and so, um, but, but honestly, I've been trying to explain what I do for the last 10 years to people, because it's so complex, it's so different, changes different disasters, um, so th this morning, um, Lance said, you know, kind of gave me carte blanche to say, talk about what you do and, and, and share with us what's happening. And I think to uh, this morning, I want to do more of telling you why I do what I do rather than kind of what I do, which hopefully will answer the question of what I do, if that makes sense, right? The, the, the why of what I do what I do. Because if you understand why, the rest just is going to make sense to you. Is that, are we good with that? So as we begin this morning, um, I want to pray. Lord, um, as as we hear, Lord, uh, from me, um, Lord, and, and obviously through you, the Holy Spirit, Lord, speak through me, Lord. Um, help them, our, our church here, my church, to understand what they're a part of, what the Foursquare Church and the denomination and the family of Foursquare is a part of, and really what I think is the heart of where our, our, our family has had started back in the 20s with our founder. Um, so, Lord, guide and direct us and, and uh, be with us this morning as we begin. Um, this morning, I want to just throw you a couple different facts. When you talk about disaster relief, and sometimes people really blend 
um, uh, disasters and, and development, relief and compassion, relief and development. You guys understand that there's, 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 this, there's a lot of different conversations about that. And so sometimes there's, there's uh, uh, some confusion about what the differences are. But I want to just blow your mind a little bit to some of the, th- to, the, to the facts around the world right now. There are over 800 people that do not have access to clean water. This would be the population of U.S., Canada, Mexico, Japan, Russia, Germany, Brazil combined. 800 million people don't have access to clean water. Over 200 million hours a day are spent by women collecting water. This loss in productivity is more than the combined work hours for a full week for all the employees of McDonald's, UPS, IBM, Walmart, Target, and Kroger. Is that crazy? 443 million students each day are, or, sorry, 443 million school days are lost each year due to water-related illnesses. This would be the equivalent of every K through 12 student in the U.S. staying home for a week. One out of, no, of every nine people worldwide suffer from chronic hunger. Overall, the number of people living in the, in the world um, hungry are 815 million 155 million of the number of children, or 155 million, sorry, is the number of children under five who suffer from stunted growth, meaning their height is too low for their age. The number, uh, 815 million is the number of hungry people on the planet who live in countries affected by a conflict. More than 152 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance around the world. An unprecedented 65.6 million people around the world have been uh, forced to flee their homes. Among them are nearly 22.5 million refugees, over half of whom are under the age of 18. There are about uh, 10 million stateless people who have been denied nationality, access to basic rights as education, health care, employment, and freedom of movement. Nearly 20 people are forcibly displaced every minute as a result of conflict and persecution. Some 795 million people in the world do not have enough food to lead a healthy, active life. That's about one in nine people on this earth. The vast majority of the world's hungry people live in developing countries where 12.9% of the population is undernourished. Poor nutrition causes nearly 45% of deaths in children under five. That's 3.1 million children each year. One out of six children, nearly 100 million in developing countries is underweight. One in four children on the world, or one in four of the world's children are stunted. In developing countries, that proportion can rise to almost one in three. If women farmers had the same access to resources as men, the number of hungry in the world could be reduced to uh, up to 150 million, up, or by up to 150 million. 66 million primary school age children attend classes hungry across the developing world, with 22 million in Africa alone. The World Food Program, which is part of the UN, um, they calculate that, that thir- uh, $3.2 billion is needed each year to reach all 66 million hungry school-aged children around the world. All of that, with the human suffering, we have about 3 billion people who have yet to hear the, the, the message of Jesus Christ around the world. Did you know that, that we talk about... Um, you know, the, the, uh, everybody hearing the voice of Jesus and the name of Jesus and, and then the second coming of Christ, right? We still have three billion people that don't know that. So we have this group of millions and millions of people who are suffering, millions that don't have access to the gospel. If you throw up that map of the unreached people groups, um, I think we have that on there. The, the, 
the, the crazy part about it is a lot of those figures about human suffering, water, nutrition, access to, to, to uh, or poverty. Um, do we have that photo up there? Or is that not going to come up? Um, at any rate, the, the, the figures of where the unreached people around the world are is, is, is part and parcel to where a lot of these areas were, were nutrition and underdevelopment and water uh, and access to clean water and poverty and, and women. A lot of those things is in that same area, right? So it, it blows your mind. It's kind of this Debbie Downer moment. And I'm not trying to give you this Debbie Downer moment. I'm not trying to say, here's this huge need um, uh, and there's no way to reach it, right? But the reality is, is it's bigger than one group, right? You realize that? 152 million people are in need of, of, of humanitarian assistance right now. Just in, in East Africa alone, there's 20 million that are in need of humanitarian assistance. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's bigger than one group. It's one organization. It's bigger than CHAD. It's bigger than Foursquare Disaster Relief. But it's going to need the influence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus to come in and actually make a difference in that. Amen? But we all have a part in playing to, to actually help to bring the second coming of Jesus, which would mean all that have heard the message of Jesus. People in crisis and conflict, the disasters, uh, movement, refugees, resettlement. What we've seen, though, is that, that people's hearts are, are open, right? How many of you have had situations in your life where, you know, your, your home's flooded? I know Baltazar's, your, your home's flooded, you're, you're suffering. You know, you're thinking, like, all I would like is just somebody to give me a help, a ha- help up, you know? Somebody to come over and swing a hammer. You know, you, things that are beyond your control and you're looking for answers, help, hope. The world is in this situation where we have millions and millions of people who are in that same situation who, regardless of their, their race, their religion, their background, their culture, they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for somebody to step out and help them. And, and guess what? We have, we have this local church. We have the church, the body of Christ, who is uniquely positioned around the world to be able to, to resource and to be that light, to give a cup of gold, cold water and a, and a bowl of hot soup. We have this opportunity, these three billion people that haven't heard the message of gospel. It's, they're unreached for a reason. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's not like three billion and it's like, ah, it's pretty easy to get there. there there's some, uh, we have some missionaries that are in, in this closed nation, and, and, and I see pictures of them in, the, in full native garb. And, and it took them like 10 years to even gain access into this area, right? Just to even gain access, to build a relationship. And now they're beginning to translate things so that they understand in these people's heart language what the actual message of, the Jesus, of Jesus is. But it took relationship. It took them helping them. It took them reaching out with that bowl of hot soup and cold water. The need is big, but in people's darkest hour, that, that some would, would show up and, and be Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said... Uh, in a quote, he, he, we, must learn to re, uh, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Human suffering is, is staggering. As I go into different disasters and, and you see the, the amount of suffering across the world, and, and this is just in the context for me of, of a disaster. When I go into a disaster, I'm having to, to, to separate the disaster needs as opposed to the endemic kind of poverty uh, and, and, and endemic needs in a nation because it's easy to blend the two. Because if I look at the both, I can't, I can't address them all. I'm, I'm going in to look at this, the disaster needs. But I have local churches that were there before the disaster. They're going to be there after the disaster. And they're the ones that are going to really actually transformationally change that village and that community and those people. But it's in light of, 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 of thinking and, and seeing people more and how they suffer and seeing how Jesus would look at these people and their suffering and what he would be doing if he was in that situation. 
there's this huge group of people waiting for the church to be the church. In, in 2015, uh, uh, we had uh, some, some floods in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Bosnia-Herzegovina is kind of this mixture of, there's 50% Muslim, more or less. There's 50% Christian, and that's Orthodox, Catholic, and some other smatterings of, of religions. So it's kind of a 50-50. So we have these four scores for our pastors in this, this, this community next to this area where it started to flood this village. And um, they gave me a call or an email, actually, and said, hey, Chad, uh, there's this floods, there's these needs. Um, last weekend, we filled up the church van, the old 15-passenger church van. We just filled it with everything. We went to the store and got bi- diapers and, and baby food and, and water and clothes and, and food and, and just filled it up. And we brought people from the church, and we just drove up to this village. And I was like, awesome. How can we help support what you guys are doing, what the Lord's calling you to do? And he goes, the incredible, incredible part that I didn't tell you, though, is it's also uh, the village is 100% Muslim. So he's like, we're pastors. We're very well-known pastors in the area. And we're going to this this Muslim village, and we didn't really know how we're going to be accepted. And what they found is nobody else was coming to this village. It's a small, localized little event. They felt the stirring of the Holy Spirit, so they jumped out and started helping. And week after week, they kept going to this village and helping, just basic needs. Every time they'd go, they'd hear there's a new need, and the next weekend they'd bring that stuff. So it'd be, oh, we're, we're out of diapers, so we need more diapers. The next week, oh, we need some medicine. Oh, the next week, we need water. And they began to continue to, to, to resource this village by way of local assessment of the needs, right? And my job in that situation was, how can I support you local pastors in doing what you and your church members are called to do? You already know what the, what, what the Holy Spirit's calling you to do, and what can I do to do that more? And so we began to help and resource them financially, and they had it, man. They were doing it well sending me photos of, I think we have a photo, if you have it, of, of them opening this van and bringing some stuff out. Oh, yeah, there you go. So these are, these are pastors and church members, just like you guys, that would be out helping in this village. They got diapers there, and they got whatever, and this was probably the sixth or seventh truckload that came in. But at the end of this time, what I found was that they sent me this email and said, hey, this is incredible. We helped. We're building relationships. This village loves us. They know us by name. We know them by name. We're building relationships. What was incredible is they said um, the, the imam, the, the priest, basically, the, the, of the, the, the mosque, asked us to come, and he wanted to kind of have a little presentation to us to thank us for what they're doing. They're like, oh, that's cool. So all of our four school leaders came into this mosque, and they're sitting down, and they're sitting with these Muslim leaders. It was great. Uh, they wouldn't, obviously, we don't have pictures because it's kind of, it just wasn't really a good situation to pull out the camera, right? But uh, and, and, and this, this imam was in tears thanking our leaders for coming. And he said, because nobody else came, you guys came, all of a sudden, you know, we're actually meeting needs of this community. And we, the Foursquare Church, the Muslim church there, the mosque in the area, we're meeting needs together to alleviate the human suffering of this village. Not saying we're going to dangle this carrot if we will come if you let us talk in your mosque about Jesus or, or whatever. It was just them being Jesus and loving on their community. And at the end of it, they actually presented our Foursquare leaders with a plaque. And I, I've been asking for, for a long time for a, a picture of the plaque, at least. But it's this plaque that says, Thank you, the Foursquare Church, Foursquare Disaster Relief, and the Foursquare Church of Bosnia-Herzegovina for your service when nobody else would come. That's the local church being the local church, right? No matter what's happening, no matter who they're helping, they're not saying, oh, we're just going to go into this village and just help Christians, or there's not a church, so we can't work there because there's nobody to work through. That was the church saying, we're going to be there we're going to serve. We see suffering of our fellow people, and we want to help. And that's the local church being the local church. Amen? So why do we help? And, and, and how can we help when we see these, new, these needs as so huge? Those numbers I, I flipped through, go on the web and Google international needs, like humanitarian stats, refugee stats. I mean, go through that. You'll get just things that just blow your mind at the needs around the world. 
for women, children, water, food. It's just staggering. So why do we help? I want to give you this idea of this, this kind of this buzzword in the humanitarian world. So luckily, in my, in my position, I get to kind of straddle this world of, of the faith-based world and, and the Foursquare Church and getting into the, 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 um, the secular world, trying to work together, trying to find to, to better what we do. And there's this buzzword in the faith-based world for humanitarians that's called integral mission. It's kind of cool, right? Integral mission, that sounds kind of, kind of hip, I guess. I don't know what the word is. It's, it's, it's cool. But basically, it's this idea of proclamation and demonstration, right? You know what that is. In the past, the church has oftentimes separated proclamation and demonstration of, of the gospel. It's sometimes in the past, we even as the Foursquare denomination, we're like, we're all about proclamation. That's great. Whatever you do, the demonstration stuff, that's good. But that might not truly be mission, and that may not truly be what Jesus has called us to do. And so we separated the two. Even in my involvement with this whole world, in my 10 years, when I first got involved, there was a lot of people that said, that's cool, what you want to do, Chad, we bless it. Go be, but, but like maybe go work with another organization that does that because we don't really do that because that's not really proclaiming Jesus. Well, there's a new mo- movement to say that proclamation demonstration is integral. It should be what we do in every, every aspect of our life. That it shouldn't be separated, that we should be doing it together. That's, and then, so the problem is that these three billion people are unreached for a reason. And if we only look at it from the proclamation de- perspective, we're never going to reach this three billion people because they're unreached for a reason. Closed access nations where a Western white guy like me can't go. You know, a lot of places that we, we respond to probably 30, 40 different disasters each year as Foursquare Disaster Relief around the world. And I probably go to maybe half or a third of those. Why? Because I can't, I can't impact people the same as, as a Bangladeshi pastor or, or, or a Hispanic leader or, or somebody else or somebody from that local country. Because I, I stand out. I don't understand their cultures. I don't understand their language. But they're hard to reach for a reason. And if we begin to think about it outside of just this proclamation of sharing the Jesus in, 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 in that way, but if we don't add in the, the demonstration part, because it's so hard for people to say, hey, the message that you're trying to tell me and I'm trying to sit here and listen to, do you really care about my needs? You're trying to tell me that Jesus cares for me. He loves me. He died on the cross to save me. He'll answer my prayers but you're coming to me and you won't even address the situations that I have. My kids are, are starving. We don't have access to clean water. I can't get a job. I can't support my family. So if we, if we look at it in that and you say, Chad, if you came in and you actually met the needs of the community and demonstrated the real love of Jesus Christ, people's hearts open. And they say, why are you doing this? What, what in the world? Chad, they ask me this all the time when I go places. Why would you travel all the way across the world where it may take me 50 hours to get to this nation? I'm traveling by bus, train, plane, tap, tap, these little motorcycles. One time in in the Philippines, we we were flying into this disaster, and and, uh, or we were, sorry, we didn't fly in. We were were driving in on a motorcycle with like four or five, six, seven, eight passengers on this motorcycle, this tricycle. And I see like Samaritan's first flight, purse flying over top of me. I'm thinking, we could really use that helicopter at this point. <laughs> but these areas aren't, aren't easy to access. And so when we were at, in the Philippines in that situation, I had pastors ask me, what are you doing here? You're sleeping on the floor with us. You're eating the, the, the canned sardines that we're eating. I hate fish. I hate canned sardines. But I'm eating these fish. I'm eating rice. And I, I'm, I'm showing them that, that Jesus really cares for them. I care for them enough to come and sit with you and talk about your stories and your struggles and I do whatever I can to resource them to continue to help their, 
their people. It's, it's the church being the church. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men. Sorry, my iPad just went. Let your lights shine so bright before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God, Father who is in heaven. The message says it in this way, which I think is for me as a, I'm not as smart as some of you theologians here, like uh, Bill, I'm, I'm not a theologian like you. But for the message, here's, here's a, a, a really good way of saying this. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out their God-colored, or the, the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to go hide you in under a bucket. I'm putting you on, on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hill, on a light stand, shine. Keep your house open. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open to God, the generous Father in heaven. The church speaking out and living out with that proclamation and demonstration its faith in Jesus in an undivided way in every aspect of life. Every aspect of life. We can't separate this proclamation demonstration, this idea that on Sundays we're going to proclaim who Jesus is, we're going to do an event and we're going to proclaim, but we're not going to demonstrate it when we're at Safeway and you're trying to return, you got the lady in the front of you that has the, the, the check and she has all the coupons. And we're not going to demonstrate the patience that Jesus talks to us about. Or can I help you, ma'am? Or, 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 or this holiday season when you're, when you're <laughs> calling uh, customer service to say, Amazon, I have, you, you, my package got stolen and I'm just going to start chewing this guy out because uh, I'm wrong or you were wrong and this is right for me. I hate it when I hear people say in the business world they hate working with Christians because they're rude, they're cheap, and they're, they're short-tempered. And I, I'm not up here saying, like, I'm not the one, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. Of course, I have those situations where I get frustrated. And so I'm talking to myself, too. I'm speaking to my own flesh here, though. But this idea that if we're going to be Jesus in every aspect of our life, integral mission, it's about being Jesus in everything we do, proclaiming who Jesus is or demonstrating his love. Jesus did it all the time. Christians should be involved in social actions because to do so is to follow the example and, and reflect the character of God, to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and to appropriately, appropriately respond to the grace of God. He's given us so much grace. It's incredible. I'm a mess, and Jesus keeps forgiving me and saying, it's okay, Chad. I know you're a bonehead. You do things all the time that aren't right, but, but I forgive you, and I love you, and my grace is sufficient for you. Amen? Anybody else feel that way, or is that just me? Psalms 146.77 says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the alien. Come on, refugees, outsiders. I'm pushing on some people's buttons here, huh? And sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. I love that. He ends with, I'm going to frustrate the wicked. Because that's not how they want us to operate. They want us to continue to be the Christians that everybody looks at in the business world and said, I don't want to work with those guys. I'll work with secular people because they'll pay me well. They may not be nice, but they'll pay me well. They, they don't try to cut me off. They don't try to do all those things. I hate that. The character of God is ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the why we do it. Jesus showed con concern for the poor. Mark, Matthew 4.23, uh, he healed the sick of disease, epilepsy, paralytic, 
the New, G- New King James Version says uh, in this passage that he, he um, because of his fame, word went out through all of Syria, and, and, and they brought, it says, all people to him, and all people were, and, and, and people and all were healed. They put this this all thing in there, which I don't know. I'm not a theologian. I haven't really broken down that passage. But when you say all people of Syria, I'm thinking they went around and word spread, and, and everybody that was sick or had an issue, all of them came, and Jesus said, I'm going to heal you all. The character of God says, I'm going to take time to heal everybody, the paralyzed, the sick, the demon-possessed. He responded to the needy with compassionate action. Jesus was so compassionate. Uh, he feed, fed the 5,000 with a, a loaf of bread from a little boy. Um, he raises the, to life the son of a widow of Nain in, in Luke 17, 15. He told a rich man to give everything he had to the poor if he wanted to actually follow him in Luke 17. The poor were drawn to him day and day out. They wanted to be with this guy because he loved them. Wasn't giving them judgment. Last time I checked, Jesus didn't ask us to judge people. <laughs> I was just on, on Thanksgiving. I was leaving. I went and got a, 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 a run to Fred Myers real quick and as I'm leaving, I got like butter and flour. It wasn't really things that I could help somebody, but I was driving out. There's a homeless guy sitting on the corner right at, at the Fred Meyer over in North Tacoma. And, and you know, I, I always struggle with that. How do you involve those? It's, you know, what, what's their situation? And the Lord just really impressed on my heart. Why are you judging this guy? I mean, maybe he's doing something bad. Maybe he is. I don't know what his world is. He's trying to get a job. I don't know. But God was like, I didn't, I didn't ask you to judge this guy. I asked you to be compassionate and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you know me, I love Coke. Coke, the, 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 the drink. <laughs> Regular Coke, cola. And of course, Fred Myers had the two-for-two two tall cans, the tall boys. Anybody know what's up with those tall boy cans? Woo, come on. So I had two of these in my, in my car. I'm like, dude, I don't need two of them. And this guy's sitting there. It's cold. It's starting to rain. Thanksgiving, he's by himself sitting in front of Fred Myers asking for help. So I rolled down my window and I said, hey, bro, you, you, want, a, you want a can of Coke? His light, his, his face shine, his, his, his uh, face uh, lit up and he basically was like, yeah, sure. So he cracks his Coke, I crack mine and, and I say, hey, man, uh, happy Thanksgiving. I don't know what your situation is, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. I love you, man. I don't know you, but we care about you. And, and, and I drove off and he said thanks. And he sat back down and he had his sign up again. I don't know what will ever come about with that. It's about that sowing the seed of compassion and saying, Lord, use this. <laughs> I might be boneheaded and be doing something that I shouldn't be doing sometimes, but if I act in love, I think that Jesus is going to cover that, and he's going to take care of all the things. And, and I'm not called to be judge, judgeful <laughs> and judge people, right? Amen? Sometimes I think we think too much about all this. Is like relief and things. Is this really economic viable? Like, what's their overhead? Uh, you know, how much money is getting to the, to the field and, 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 and how much is overhead? And, and, and I'm like, are we really kind of going to the root of what people are doing? Are they alleviating human suffering? Are they really being Jesus? Are they giving people an opportunity to come to know Jesus? Then I'm like, man, you know, I'm going to leave it to you and Jesus in terms of what you do. And, and luckily for Foursquare Disaster Relief, we have the amazing ability to be a part of a larger denomination where a lot of our expenses are absorbed within the denomination. But at the end of the day, we're just... We're just trying to alleviate people's suffering and show them that Jesus really cares for them and show them that there's a church body that cares. Amen? And then finally, uh, in his death, uh, Jesus uh, gave us a model of love that we should extend to those in need in John 3, 16, 17. 
There's just a few ways that we can see the character of God in his death and in his life that should show us why we should be operating in this area of, of compassion and, and, and helping human suffering and demonstrating the power and love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So then, how do we help, Chad? What's, what's the practical application of how do we do this? We, if we see the amazing, see in this, this room right here, just this room, we have a bunch of believers. Do you know we have about 100,000 four-square believers around the world? Or 100,000 churches, sorry, around the world. 100,000 100, churches, four-square churches around the world, and 160 nations. We're part of something so big that oftentimes we never really think about it. But if you think about it, if you harness the power of those 100,000 churches and 160 nations, which a lot of those are in closed-access nations where it's hard to get in as Westerners, but we have, we have four-square nations that are actually sending missionaries into other places where they are closed, but they're not close to those nations. Sri Lanka sends workers all over the world. They, they call it like employment missions. They go and get a job. They, they meet up with other people in their workplace, and they start to start little home churches. That's their model. Go get a job, be Jesus, start a church. Not a simple church, a home church. Not some big thing where you get a building. It's just like be Jesus in your communities, in your workplace, and start to impact your world. That's their mission strategy. And you know what? The Sri Lankan church is growing rapidly, <laughs> way bigger than we are. That 100,000 churches around the world that are four square, interestingly enough, we have about 2,000, 2,500 in the U.S., so the, the, the majority of that is in our global family, which is growing. And I understand there's differences in the U.S. and just how we have to handle it. Um, but it's just staggering to think about the, the, the global expansion of the church. And if we think about the, the big C church, the, the growth is, 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 is incredible. So I want to give you just a quick definition of the church that I have kind of walked through a little bit here. It would be sustainable communities of local believers accessible to everyone where worship, discipleship, nurture, nurture and mission take, takes place. Let me read that again for you. Sustainable, uh, the definition of a local church, when done right, is sustainable communities of local believers accessible to everyone where worship, discipleship, nurture, and mission takes place. This idea that sustainable and self-sufficient, not reliable on something outside, there's not some big uh, thing that we have to be tied to. I mean, we're part of a denomination, but things that happen here in, 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 in Puget Sound Christian Center is self-sufficient. We do it because that's what we're called to do as a local body, right? That's, that's a local church. In, in South Sudan and in, in northern Uganda, when I had got involved with the East Africa famine there, uh, there I, I got word from them that their pastors were literally out there. They have nothing. These pastors, these fourth core pastors have nothing, but they're going out because they see people suffering. They're holding kids that are dying. They're seeing parents that are saying, Pastor, help us. I can't, I can't feed my kids. I haven't eaten as the, as the adult for like five, six days, but my kids still haven't been able to eat for three days. Help us. What can we do? And these pastors began to give out their tithes. They're like, I don't need tithes. I, just, let's figure it out. Just give it away. Self-sufficient. They were doing it regardless of what we were doing as the Western influence because they knew Jesus had called them to do it. Communities. These would be not isolated individuals. A true ch local church that's going to be flourishing is, is when we live in community together. When we're isolated individuals doing our own thing, it's really hard to be that local church that's making a difference. But when we get together and do things, Holiday Hope, the, the Halloween art, outreach, different things, when we work together, we're so much stronger because we all have gifts that we have to, to be a part of. Local people living together and finally accessible to all. I think every local church should be accessible to all. Whether you're poor, whether you're marginalized, whether you're wealthy, 
whether you're a business owner or whether you're on an unemployment, the local church should be accessible to all, no matter where your life is, where your, your walk in life is, how you're struggling. We should all be able to come and be a part of that. And I think that's when the local church is the strongest. The New Testament doesn't talk about development or projects or evangelistic issues, but rather local congregations as inclusive, caring, proclaiming communities where everybody finds their worth. All people find a space to express their God-given gifts. And then this holistic worship, discipleship, and mission taking place, which would be true in the girl mission, where the demonstration and proclamation of the power of Jesus Christ to change lives is, as, is, is, is active in just about everything we do. Amen? So for Foursquare Disaster Relief, we don't have this big team. My office is right over here if you guys ever want to talk about it and see more about what we do. We don't have this huge team that we deploy. We have churches that get involved in different ways, but we, we, we are strong because we have this boots on the ground in 100,000 churches around the globe, right? 160 nations. So when a disaster happens, I call up a national leader in a nation. I say, hey, uh, we want to support you. Our, your, form, your family here in the U.S. wants to support you. Your, your global Foursquare family wants to support you. What's God calling you to reach out to your community, alle alleviate the human suffering, and be Jesus, and demonstrate and proclaim his, his worthiness? And because of that, we're able to make such a difference in the, in the lives of so many around the world. And you guys are a part of that. Local responses is local church is there before the disaster happens. The local church is going to be there afterwards. They know their culture. They know their language. You imagine somebody from the East Coast coming to PSEC here and trying to operate and minister to South Tacoma. It'd be a little bit hard for them, right? A Midwesterner. Why? Because us North and Westerners are a little bit odd, right? Bearded. Sometimes we wear flannels like the Seahawks, right? In the same way, going internationally and working in these areas, these, these, these leaders that we are being able to support, they know their communities, they know their people. And so our job is to just support and resource and facilitate whatever we can do to help them to do what they're called better and be Jesus in people's darkest hours. And we see that as the lo local church reaches out with that coal of, bowl of hot soup and that cup of cold water, that lives are open, hearts are open, and we see people coming to Jesus. I want to finish with one just quick story. Um, uh, in, in, in Japan, after the, 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 um, the tsunami, let me get my date here real quick before I... Um, March 11, 2011, that 9.2 earthquake hit the coast of, 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 uh, of Japan in the tsunami. I was in one area where there was... Um, the tsunami wave was 70 feet tall when it was hitting things. It was coming up, up land like, like two, three, four miles. We went to these sites where people actually came to them as evacuation centers because they thought that was going to be safe, that was going to be far enough up, and those evacuation centers were completely gone. So this, this, this devastating disaster happened, and, and we have a four-score family in, in Japan, and they began to say, we're going to respond, we're going to go up and help. And they very simple things. They went up and they brought vegetables and, and clothes and diapers. Our Foursquare leaders and our, some, we have some missionaries there began to reach out, helping clean people's houses. And week after week and month after month and year after year, they continued to just sow in and say, we want to love you. No strings attached. We're not going to dangle this carrot and say, hey, if you believe, we'll help you. Or, or to get this food that we're going to give you, you got to listen to our presentation. No, they just loved on them. Demonstrated what Jesus would have been doing, right? The what WWJD, as cliche as that was, that thing is so true, right? What would Jesus do in this situation? Jesus be, would be out there getting dirty. He'd be wearing his, his, his bog boots up to his, you know, 
knees and, and he'd be out there mucking through and helping people get back to their lives. And as a result of this, we got, we got people being baptized in northern Japan in an area where 450 years ago, samurais killed the last Christians. And there hasn't been a presence of the gospel there in 450 years. Nothing. Japan's culture is kind of, it's, 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 it's hard and they don't necessarily accept outsiders. They're, you know, it's, just, it's a difficult culture to, to get in. But what they're saying to us, the people that were being baptized, is you guys kept coming. You kept coming. You kept coming. You kept loving. You kept helping. And because of that, we see people have come to Christ in a place like this. And that's what, as Foursquare Disaster Relief, as us as a community of Foursquare believers that we're a part of. And, and as we continue to do things here in, in, in North Tacoma, there's so many needs. I, 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 we got, we're running out of time, but I, I want to just give you a couple stats here that might blow your mind in terms of, you might think, Chad, all those quotes you just said are, are global, you know, Africa, it's hard, India, that's hard to, to, to connect with. In 2016, one in eight Washingtonians did not have enough food to meet their basic nutrition needs, meaning that they would, their development process wasn't happening right. If you have kids under the age of five, that is detrimental to their growth. Nearly one in nine Washingtonians live be below the poverty line in 2016. One in five kids in Washington state lives in a household that struggles to put food on their table. One in seven Washingtonians rely on uh, the food stamp system um, which is severely threatened by budget cuts. Half of the people on that program are kids. The majority of working age Washingtonians who live in poverty are actively working or looking for a job. And one in six Washingtonians rely on their local food bank. Now we don't obviously know the situation of all those living on food stamps and where they're at. But the reality is that people are suffering in our own area, let alone our world. And we have this opportunity to say, no, we're going to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. He is who he is. He saves us. But we also want to say we want to demonstrate that he actually loves us. And we as the body of Christ, we love you as well. In whatever aspect it is, whether you're getting into help and feed things or the, um, the, uh, any aspect of, of community engagement, the, the holiday of hope. I mean, there's so many opportunities. But it's about taking the step to get involved. For me, it happened to be that I'm going to get involved and I'm going to jump out of helicopters and go into disasters. But that's just me. That's what God called me. But we all have a part to play. And I don't know what your part to play is. So I want to challenge you this morning. What is your part to play? Is it to, to pray? Is it to be involved here something locally? Is it, is, it, uh, is it to be a part of something globally? Is it a part to, is it, is, is your part to play to, to, to give or to pray? It doesn't cost anything to get on your knees except for your time to, to pray for the world and the unreached and those that are suffering and that local churches around the world would be resourced and have the ability to meet those needs even more. And here locally, for us to just get involved and do things to, to, um, to reach those. The, the, the crazy thing about that $3 billion with this migration and refugee situation that we're, that we're dealing with this in the country is a lot of those refugees are actually here in the U.S. now. You know how many unreached people groups there are in the area? I don't know. I should know that. But there are so many unreached people here in the U.S. because they've come as refugees and, and migrants because of the political situation or the conflict in the nation, and they're here. It doesn't cost you to go over to India or China or some of these other nations in the Middle East. You can do it right here in your own area as well as the people in our own communities that are suffering. And I believe that's really what Jesus calls us as integral, integral mission, to combine the two and to be Jesus in that time of need. So let's pray. Lord, the, the needs are staggering. It's bigger than one organization, bigger than one person. 
one denomination, but Lord, it's not bigger than you. But Lord, I really feel like you're calling us as the church to, to reevaluate how we're affecting and impacting our world. This idea of proclamation and demonstration being holistic in everything we do in our lives, not on Sundays, not on an event day, but when we're at the store, when we're at work, when we're in our schools. So Lord, just we ask that you would continue to give us opportunities to be you in everything we do and to share this great message that we have that in the end, at the end, Lord, that's all that matters is a relationship with you. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.